The Word of God, the Holy Bible, is a treasure and a gift beyond compare. Every passage of it points to a marvelous truth that God's love for man impelled him to step out of eternity and unite with his creation in order to redeem him from sin. Jesus Christ is both the author and subject of this precious word. Join us at the Superior Word each week as we search out this wonderful gift in search of Christ Jesus. Okay, Psalm 12 to the chief musician on an eight-stringed harp, a Psalm of David. Help, Lord, for the godly man ceases, for the faithful disappear from among the sons of men. They speak idly, everyone with his neighbor, with flattering lips and a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speaks proud things, who have said, with our tongue we will prevail, our lips are our own. Who is Lord over us? For the oppression of the poor, for the sighing of the needy, now I will arise, says the Lord. I will set him in the safety for which he yearns. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. You shall keep them, O Lord. You shall preserve them from this generation forever. The wicked prowl on every side when vileness is exalted among the sons of men. Our sermon text today is Numbers 27. It's verses 12 through 23, and this is entitled The Inauguration of Joshua. Verse 12, Now the Lord said to Moses, Go up into this Mount Abarim and see the land which I have given to the children of Israel. And when you have seen it, you also shall be gathered to your people. As Aaron, your brother, was gathered, for in the wilderness of Zin, during the strife of the congregation, you rebelled against my command to hallow me at the waters before their eyes. These are the waters of Meribah at Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin. Then Moses spoke to the Lord, saying, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, set a man over the congregation who may go out before them and go in before them, who may lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be like sheep which have no shepherd. And the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua the son of Nun with you, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand on him. Set him before Eleazar the priest and before all the congregation and inaugurate him in their sight. And you shall give some of your authority to him that all the congregation of the children of Israel may be obedient. He shall stand before Eleazar the priest who shall inquire before the Lord for him by the judgment of the Urim. At his word they shall go out and at his word they shall come in, he and all the children of Israel with him, all the congregation. So Moses did as the Lord commanded him. He took Joshua and set him before Eleazar the priest and before all the congregation and he laid his hands on him and inaugurated him just as the Lord commanded by the hand of Moses. The passage today, I'll tell you what, before I get into the sermon, let me tell you something, because people may not know this about Jim. It's his birthday tomorrow, yes, but um, there's something else that if you sign on late, uh, if you're watching online or if you're a person that watches regularly and you sign on late, you don't know that Jim, I send him a copy of the sermon every single week. And then what he does is he formats it and he sends it out to anybody that wants it so you can follow along with uh, the sermon as we're going. And if that's something that you are not aware of, 
let me know and I can put you in touch with him and he will do that. He does that as a courtesy for the church. And so a lot of people, there is another way of doing this is it's also online at the Superior Word. You can go there to the Today's Sermon and you can read along with it, but it may be easier to print it off or to have his copy, which is formatted in a certain way. So just so you know that. All right, we'll go on. The passage today deals with two different subjects. The first is that of Moses being told that his life is coming to an end and a reminder of the reason for that. The second is that of the inauguration of Joshua to succeed Moses. Despite these being recorded now, there's still quite a bit more to go in Numbers and there is another book to go, Deuteronomy. That's coming from Moses as well. It may seem like a lot and that the inauguration of Joshua should be kept till later, but all of the events between now and the end of Deuteronomy form a very short period of time, months at best, possibly much less. It would make no sense to wait until the last minute to accomplish the things in this passage today any later than they are now occurring. There needs to be a time of transition which prepares both the leadership and the people for what lies ahead. As for Moses, the passage today gives the highlights, but it skips some of the details of what occurs between the Lord and him when he is told he is going to die. We'll look at those things from Deuteronomy today, and we'll go over them in detail when we get there. But the point is, in both instances, that Moses resigned himself to the fact that he was not going into Canaan, and that another would have to assume his position in order for Israel to take that giant step forward. For Moses, he is told to go up to the mountains and see what he would not attain. His life was a pilgrimage that ended before receiving the promise. Which brings us to our text verse of the day, Hebrews 11, verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For us, there are two parts to the promise that we have been given. The first is that we have obtained the promise in Christ. It is ours, actual and whole, but it is not yet realized. The second part is when it is realized. Too often we take and we separate the two, as if we might not actually obtain the promise even though it's ours. People fret over their salvation, they believe that they can lose it, and they second guess what they have heard wondering if it is all just some type of hoax that they once believed. That is a sad state to be in, but it does not change the reality of the situation. If one is in Christ, the promise is his, and it comes with a guarantee. The way to not fall into doubt, worry, or frustration is to keep in the word. Understand what you have received and simply hold fast to it. The promises of God are sure, and they are verifiable. We will talk about that at the end of the sermon, after we have looked over the verses in today's passage. Let us take comfort in our faith, hold fast to it, and not forget that the second part of our promise, the realization of entry into the inheritance, could come at any moment. The Lord may come and take his church home, or he may come and gather us to our fathers, as has happened to so many before us. Either way, we are going to be with him. This is a great and perfect hope which is to be found in his superior word. And so let's turn to that precious word once again and may God speak to us through his word today and may his glorious name ever be praised. I have a couple of thoughts for you today. The first is you also shall be gathered to your people 
It's verses 12 through 14. The last portion of scripture we looked at last week dealt with the inheritance rights of the people of Israel, especially the division of inheritance to someone who had no sons. With that matter settled, the Lord speaks to Moses once again about his not being one to enter into Canaan. Moses, or he who draws out, would not be the one to bring the people in to receive their inheritance. The picture is obvious. Moses drew out the people from Egypt, but the law also came through him. The law draws out sin in man. It does not resolve the sin problem. It highlights it, as Paul explains in Romans 7. But sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desire. For apart from the law, sin was dead. I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment which was to bring life, I found to bring death. Moses, who represents the law, cannot enter the promised inheritance. Rather, the law must die prior to granting salvation, pictured by entry into Canaan. Aaron, the high priest of the law, has already died. Moses must also die outside of the inheritance to fulfill the picture. But in the death of Moses, there must be another to lead the people. Today's narrative will continue the picture. Verse 12, now the Lord said to Moses, the Lord has set the parameters of all things and the Lord has made the determinations contained within them. For Israel, one of those parameters is that the law will not lead the people into glory. It will lead the people to glory, but only to, not into. To meet one of the determinations contained within that parameter, the Lord continues by saying, verse 12 going on, go up into this Mount Abarim. Ale el har ha'abarim hazeh. Go up into mountain, the Abarim, the this. Moses is instructed to go into the Mount of the Abarim. The word comes from abar, meaning to pass over, by or through. The I am at the end is a plural marker. It's like our S in English. Thus it is the crossings over, or the regions beyond. They are in the regions beyond Canaan. And so it is Canaan which is the point of reference, not where they are now. The instruction for Moses to go up is anticipatory. In other words, he is to do this, but the actual event doesn't occur until Deuteronomy 31 through 34, which surprisingly was my Bible reading this morning. And so this is not two different stories as some scholars claim. Rather, it is an often used literary tool found in Scripture. An event is spoken of, and the details are filled in later. It was what occurred with the creation accounts in Genesis 1 and then Genesis 2. And it is something we have seen repeatedly in the book of Numbers. The reason for including this now, as seen, is to show that the law, typified by Moses, is not a part of the inheritance. It is also to reveal that a new leader must be identified and commissioned to lead the people into Canaan. This will continue to be revealed in the verses ahead. The timing of the ordination of Joshua is actually later in the chronology of events in the book of Numbers, but the record of it now is necessary to establish the idea that he is the one to assume the role of leader after Moses. This will become more evident when we get to chapter 31. For now, along with a new leader, a new generation, typified by the daughters of Zelophehad from last week, will enter and receive the inheritance. Thus, the words of Paul concerning the law are seen here. 
Galatians 3, 16 through 18. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds, as of many, but as of one, and to your seed, who is Christ. And this I say, that the law, which was 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ, that it should make the promise of no effect. For if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. The generation of the law, meaning those who received it, died prior to entry into Canaan. But those of promise, meaning their offspring, would enter. We are being given typological representations of what God would do in Jesus Christ, who is the fulfillment of the law. His seed will, in fact, obtain the promise. That's you. That's you, his seed, the seed of God through Jesus Christ. That is what this is speaking of. The words, go up into this Mount Abarim, are general. However, they will become more specific as the narrative is expanded upon in the book of Deuteronomy. Abarim will be defined as Pisgah, and then Pisgah will be further defined as Mount Nebo. To continue with the typology of the law's inability to bring Israel in, the Lord continues with his words to Moses. Verse 12 going on. And see the land which I have given to the children of Israel. The land of Canaan is the Lord's land. This was stated explicitly in Leviticus 25, verse 23. However, he has given it to the children of Israel as an inheritance. As Moses is left east of the Jordan, he is not given that inheritance. Once again, we can see the law bringing the people to, but not into the inheritance. The law performs its work, and then it is terminated upon its completion. I had somebody argue with me yesterday. They watched a prophecy update from a couple weeks ago, and they said, you said the law is annulled. And he started to take verses out of context from Matthew and says, I have not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. And I said, what do you think he said? Say it to yourself again. He didn't come to destroy it. He fulfilled it. The entire point of it. That's what we're talking about here. It performs its work, and then it is terminated upon its completion. The typology here in Numbers shouts out aloud, anticipating those doctrines which are set forth in the Gospels and which are then explained in the epistles. It cannot be said enough for those under law. There is no inheritance. No inheritance. Again, this is seen. Verse 13, and when you have seen it, you also shall be gathered to your people. The term gathered to your people goes back even to the time of the death of Abraham in Genesis 25, verse 8. It obviously doesn't mean to a specific place because Abraham was buried in Canaan and Moses will be buried outside of Canaan. It also does not mean that he is cut off from any future promises. This is obvious for several reasons, the main one of which is recorded in the Gospels. There it shows that Moses did, in fact, appear in Canaan with Jesus. Here's what it says in Matthew 17. Now, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, his clothes became as white as the light, and behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. 
everything that is recorded of Moses in his earthly life is given to show us hints and pictures of Christ and his redemptive work, including the time and place of his death. It is outside of Canaan that he will be gathered. Verse 13 continues, as Aaron, your brother, was gathered. Ka'ashur ne'esaf aharon achicha, as was gathered Aaron, your brother. These words could have gone unstated and nothing would be lost in the detail. It is already a known fact that Aaron had died. Further, Miriam had died and she isn't mentioned. Therefore, the words are a poignant reminder of past misdeeds for Moses to reflect on. Further, they are a continued reminder to us of the insufficiency of the law or those under it to obtain the inheritance. If there is anything that we should learn from this passage, it is that the law cannot save. If you reinsert the law into your theology, you are being a heretic because Christ is the fulfillment of the law. What can you add to what he has done? Nothing. It begs for us to come to Jesus, to trust in him alone and be reconciled to God apart from our futile attempts to live out our lives in hopes of personal merit instead of what God offers apart from our efforts. Verse 14, does anybody know what grace means? Does it mean reinserting the law and doing deeds to please God? No, grace is unmerited favor. Verse 14, for in the wilderness of Zin, during the strife of the congregation, as you rebelled against my mouth in the wilderness of Zin, Using the word ka'ashur, or as the Lord just said in the previous verse, as Aaron your brother was gathered. Now he again uses the word ka'ashur, or as, concerning his rebellion in the wilderness of Zin. As you rebelled. The repetition of the word is not saying that one is the cause of the other. Rather, it is being used in a comparative sense. The word translated as you rebelled against is plural. It speaks of both Moses and Aaron. And so in essence, the Lord is saying, as Aaron has been gathered, so you will be gathered. You both rebelled and you are both to receive the same fate. Verse 14 continues, you rebelled against my command. As we just saw, the Lord does not say my command. He says my mouth. Though it can be used figuratively to mean command, when the Lord speaks as he does, it is to be taken as authoritative. He should not have to say, I command you to do this, Moses. Rather, his word bears all of his authority. Moses disregarded that precept, and it cost him. But it had to happen in order to maintain the typology. The account of this matter is recorded in Numbers 20, 1 through 13. If you didn't see that sermon... You now know what you must do tonight when you are at home. Verse 14 continues, To hallow me at the waters before their eyes. These are the waters of Meribah at Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin. Again, as I said a moment ago, the words here follow from what was recorded in Numbers chapter 20. It is an amazing passage that needs to be explored in order to understand all of the beauty that was presented there. If you missed the sermon or if you forgot the details, be sure to go back and watch it. As a quick reminder, the name Meribah comes from what occurred. There was Riv, or strife, and so the name of the place was called Merivah, meaning place of quarreling. Likewise, the name Kadesh comes from the verb Kadash, meaning to hallow, or set apart. Moses and Aaron failed to hallow the Lord, and the place was named based on that. Along with that, however, 
There are other puns in the three verses that we have looked at so far. The name Abarim is the same as what was said to the people when they rebelled back in Numbers 14. There it says, and Moses said, now why do you transgress, that word, the command of the Lord, for this will not succeed. There Moses said, lama ze atem obarim et pi Yehovah. Why do you transgress the mouth of Yehovah? Abarim and Obarim are the same word, meaning to pass over. By telling Moses that he is to go up into the Abarim to die, it is a reminder to him that, like the people who overstepped or transgressed the mouth of the Lord and were condemned to die in the wilderness, he too overstepped that same mouth, and he too is condemned to die outside of Canaan. But more, the word Abarim is also identical to the plural word for Hebrew, Ivrim. The Hebrew people are those who have crossed over to the Lord, and yet they continue to cross over, meaning transgress, the word of the Lord. The act of burying Moses in the Abarim signifies this. As long as Israel, the Hebrew people, trust in the law, they will overstep their boundaries, and they will be judged by that same law. Everybody remember what I said from Paul a couple minutes ago from Romans 7? The law, by the law, is the knowledge of sin. You don't know sin until you're given law, and all of a sudden you start overstepping the boundaries of the Lord. That's what's being pictured right here. The law is a stepping stone to get us to Jesus Christ, and people don't seem to understand that, and they keep inserting the law. Don't get a tattoo. You can't do this. You can't do that. The law was meant for one purpose, well, actually for a lot of purpose, but one overarching purpose was to lead us as a tutor to Jesus Christ. The filler information necessary to understand a better picture of what is so briefly spoken to Moses here is found in Deuteronomy 32, where it says this, Then the Lord spoke to Moses that very same day, saying, Go up this mountain of the Abarim, Mount Nebo, which is in the land of Moab, across from Jericho. View the land of Canaan, which I give to the children of Israel as a possession, and die on the mountain which you ascend, and be gathered to your people. Just as Aaron, your brother, died on Mount Hor and was gathered to his people, because you trespassed against me among the children of Israel at the waters of Meribah Kadesh, in the wilderness of Zin, because you did not hallow me in the midst of the children of Israel. Yet you shall see the land before you, though you shall not go there into the land which I am giving to the children of Israel. That's Deuteronomy 32, 48 through 52. Moses, my servant, you shall be gathered to your people. It is now time for you to come home. Though many will mourn neath that steeple, your time of rest has come no more to roam. Another must now take your place while you are gathered to a new home. But you shall rise to again see my face. But for now you shall rest no more to roam. You have fulfilled your mission and you have done well. And you shall be remembered always after I gather you home. Until you are raised again after a short spell. But until then you shall rest no more to roam. Our second thought today, set a man over the congregation. It's verses 15 through 23. Verse 15, then Moses spoke to the Lord saying, the vast majority of sections which deal with the conversation between the Lord and Moses begin with the words, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying. The words here are reversed. Then Moses spoke to the Lord saying. It is Moses who initiates this conversation and it is based on the news 
that he was just given. He shall not lead Israel into Canaan. Based on this, the first thing that comes to his mind is a concern for his people. I wish every pastor in America had the same concern for their people. That's the first thing that comes to his mind. Not, I don't want to die outside of the land of promise. I want this or I want that. He is concerned about his people. Verse 16, let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, set a man over the congregation. Moses appeals to the Lord on behalf of the people, but he does it in a manner similar to what was said in number 16 during Korah's rebellion. In their distress, Moses and Aaron fell before the Lord and exclaimed, O God, the God of the spirits of all flesh, shall one man sin and you be angry with all the congregation? Here he doesn't say, O Jehovah, the God of the spirits of all flesh, please set a man over the congregation. Instead of calling the Lord by his name and then stating his words, he uses the Lord's name in his statement. Let Jehovah. There is purpose to this. The name Jehovah comes from the verb Hayah, which signifies to come to pass or to be. In essence, he says, let the one who is the God of the spirits of all flesh. He is making a contrast between the Lord who is self-existent and who knows all things to himself and indeed to all others as well. The God of the spirits of all flesh signifies that he is the creator of them. They came into existence and they will go the way of the flesh in death at some point. Even apart from the obvious defect of sin in man, in all men there is a deficiency of knowledge, experience, and wisdom. In God is found only the perfection of each of them. No matter what choice Moses made, he would be incapable of determining who was the most capable person to assume the leadership of the people. When the sanctuary was to be constructed, the Lord knew the exact person who had the proper skills to oversee the project. And so he called out for Bezalel, the son of Uri. The construction of the sanctuary was a matter of the highest importance, and the choice of the overseer required the knowledge of the Lord in order to select the right man. The leadership of Israel was no different. Even with all of the wisdom of the elders joined together, they could not look at the hearts of the men and determine who was most fit. The spirit of man is known, but to God alone. Only the Lord could search each out. This is what Moses is relaying in his words now. His petition is that the all-knowing God alone was capable of making the right selection, and so he defers to him to do so. The people needed someone, verse 17, who may go out before them and go in before them. The words concerning a person going out and going in speak of the common private life of the man. It is what man does. He goes out in the morning to work and he comes home at night exhausted from the labor. Or he goes out to carouse and he comes home drunk. Maybe he goes out to commit adultery and he comes home with syphilis. Moses knows that the Lord will pick someone who is reliable. Jesus uses the same thought in John chapter 10. Guess who he's speaking about? I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and go out and find pasture. Who is it that will go out and come in according to the will of the Lord? Moses defers to the Lord to decide. Verse 17 continues, who may lead them out and bring them in? Moses' words now speak of the public, official life of the man. What type of a leader will he be? The words speak of a shepherd who leads sheep out and then leads them back in again. He cares for them and will be faithful as a leader over them. 
Again, Jesus refers to this when speaking of, guess who? Himself, in contrast to the false shepherds. From John 10, most assuredly I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep will hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Surprisingly, Jesus said these words to the people of Israel, who claimed to be followers of Moses. And yet John next says of them that they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. No wonder Moses deferred to the Lord to make the choice. Verse 17 going on, that the congregation of the Lord may not be like sheep which have no shepherd. Moses' concern for his people was because he knew the faithless character of man. Few could be trusted with the leadership of the Lord's people, as is evidenced throughout all of the rest of the Old Testament and as is witnessed by Matthew at the time of Jesus' advent. Here's what Matthew says. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered, like sheep having no shepherd. One can see how heavily the New Testament relies on the Old for its symbolism and its terminology. As far as the sequence of events which are now being relayed, before we get to the next verse, the words of Deuteronomy 3 must be seen to understand the full context of what occurs. Here's what it says there in Deuteronomy 3. Then I pleaded with the Lord at that time, saying, O Lord God, you have begun to show your servant your greatness and your mighty hand for what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do anything like your works and your mighty deeds. I pray, let me cross over and see the good land beyond the Jordan, those pleasant mountains in Lebanon. But the Lord was angry with me on your account and would not listen to me. So the Lord said to me, enough of that. Speak no more to me of this matter. Go up to the top of Pisgah and lift your eyes towards the west, the north, the south, and the east. Behold it with your eyes, for you shall not cross over this Jordan. But command Joshua and encourage him and strengthen him, for he shall go over before this people, and he shall cause them to inherit the land, which you will see. The Lord told me, keep thinking of the law here. The law gets right to the promise, but it cannot enter. Everybody see that? What happened when Jesus died? The law died. It was fulfilled. That is the symbolism that we're supposed to see here. People that keep reintroducing the law of Moses are condemning themselves and those that they teach. That is all that's happening there. The Lord told Moses he would be gathered to his fathers. Moses then petitioned the Lord for mercy. The Lord rebuked him as if he would waffle on such a matter. Moses then petitioned the Lord for the people, and only then did the Lord respond, as is now seen. Verse 18, And the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, the son of Nun, with you. Joshua is selected, and the Lord commands that he be ordained. Joshua, or Jehovah is salvation, is a type of Christ. He came under the law, and yet he prevailed over the law. He demonstrated faith in the Lord. Remember that back when the spies went into Canaan? Two people came out with faith out of the entire congregation. He prevailed over the law. 
He had faith in the Lord and was granted freedom from the curse of the law, which came upon all others except Caleb. Whereas Moses led the people to the land of promise, Joshua will lead them into the land of promise. The typology of Christ is obvious. Jesus was born under the law, a law waiting to be fulfilled. It brought the people to the land of promise, but it could not bring them in. Only when Christ came, born under the law, and who died in fulfillment of the law, could the people be brought in by faith in what he did. Joshua, or the Lord is salvation, looks to Yeshua, Jesus, meaning salvation, and who is the Lord. The name Nun means to propagate or increase. God the Father, through the Son, propagates his offspring. The typology is set, and it all points to what God does in Christ. Verse 18 continues, a man in whom is the Spirit. Of the 28 versions I checked for this sermon, only one got this right. There is no article in front of the word spirit. In the Hebrew, it simply says, Ish Asher Ruach Bo, a man in whom is spirit. The meaning is explained later in Deuteronomy 34. Here's what it says. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him, so the children of Israel heeded him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. Verse 18 continues, and lay your hand on him. This is an outward consecration of the man. It is a public act which is intended to convey to the people that the transfer of leadership has been decided and that it is ordained by the Lord through Moses. In typology, the law laid its hand upon Christ. The transfer was made and in his death, the law found its end. A new covenant was established just as a new leader is now inaugurated. But all things must find their proper place, and so this is to be done publicly before others as well. Verse 19, set him before Eleazar the priest and before all the congregation and inaugurate him in their sight. We all get baptized, don't we? Do we go do it in the corner? No, we go out in the public and we do it, right? We have a baby ordination today, or a, what do we call it, a baby dedication? We do it publicly. We want everything to be done publicly with our lives in Christ so that people can see what we're doing. We saw in Numbers 20 that the transfer of the priesthood from Aaron to Eliezer pictured the transfer of the priesthood from the Aaronic line to that of Christ. Here we see the acknowledgement of the priesthood and the ordination of Israel's new leader. Though under the law the two offices were separate, under the new covenant they are both found in Jesus. And it was not done in a corner, rather it was done before all the congregation. Nothing about Christ's authority was kept from the people, even if they kept separate from him. Verse 20, and you shall give some of your authority to him that all the congregation of the children of Israel may be obedient. A new word translated as authority is seen here, hod. It signifies splendor, majesty, or vigor. This is its only use in the books of Moses. It is usually used when referring to the Lord. It comes from a root signifying grandeur, such as an imposing appearance. In the inauguration, Moses is associating Joshua with his own majestic office. One can see Christ bearing the majesty of the law, which was transferred to him as he hung on the cross. Moses is about to die. Joshua is about to be elevated as the new leader. The law died when Christ died, but Jesus came forth as the new leader. Each thing that occurs is given in small hints of something much greater which was coming in Christ. 
Verse 21, he shall stand before Eliezer the priest, who shall inquire before the Lord for him by the judgment of the Urim. Moses talked to the Lord face to face, whereas Joshua receives the judgment of the Lord through the Urim, or lights, via Eliezer. This shows the greatness of Moses in all of the Old Covenant, and yet in type, because Jesus is both the leader of the people of God and the high priest of the New Covenant, filling both roles stated here, he is superior to Moses. This is explicitly stated in Hebrews chapter 3. In him is also the true source of light, as stated in John's Gospel. The naming of the Urim here looks to the light of Christ to come. Verse 21 continues, At his word they shall go out, and at his word they shall come in, he and all the children of Israel with him, all the congregation. This is speaking of the direction of the Lord, not Joshua or Eliezer. It further reads, At his mouth they shall go out, and at his mouth they shall come in. In other words, the shepherding of Israel is by Joshua, but only at the direction of the Lord. This is why the calling by the people for a kingship was so repulsive to Samuel and considered such a transgression by the Lord. The people had rejected their true head and called for a human to take the reins instead. But it also shows the greatness of King David who understood the truth of his own position when he said, the Lord is my shepherd. David did not shun his selection as king of Israel, but he understood that his kingship was one which was still rightly as a sheep before its shepherd. It also shows the boldness of Christ to proclaim to the people, I am the good shepherd. There are only two possibilities to his words. The first is that he was a blasphemer who rejected the authority of the Lord, and the second is that he is, in fact, the Lord. Taken in the context of what is said here, and throughout the rest of Scripture, no other option is left for man to consider when evaluating who Jesus Christ is. Verse 22, So Moses did as the Lord commanded him. He took Joshua and set him before Eliezer the priest and before all the congregation. The words here are to show the obedience of Moses to every detail spoken to him. This is an often repeated word concerning him. He is given directions and he meticulously follows through with them. With only the exception of the waters of Meribah, Moses was faithful in all of his house. He stood Joshua before Eliezer and, as it says, before all the congregation. It is a public ceremony intended to leave no doubt at all who the successor to Moses will be. The high priest standing with him shows the alliance between the two offices. Moses performing the rite demonstrates his approval of the Lord's selection and the congregation are all witnesses. No person could question the authority granted to Joshua because all were witnesses to it. And the same is true with Christ. The high priest witnessed Christ's work. The law testifies to Christ's work and the people throughout Israel also were witnesses to what they saw. There is no more excuse for Israel's rejection of Jesus than there would have been if they had rejected Joshua at some point after he was so inaugurated. Verse 23 finishes with, And he laid his hands on him and inaugurated him, just as the Lord commanded by the hand of Moses. The words here are simple and direct. With the authority and approval of the Lord and by the hand of Moses, Joshua was inaugurated to the office of leader of the Lord's people. A further set of details of this inauguration are found in Deuteronomy 31. Here's what it says. Then Moses went and spoke these words to all Israel. And he said to them, I am 120 years old today. I can no longer go out and come in. Also, the Lord has said to me, you shall not cross over this Jordan. 
the Lord your God himself crosses over before you. He will destroy these nations from before you, and you shall dispossess them. Joshua himself crosses over before you, just as the Lord has said. And the Lord will do to them as he did to Sihon and Og, the kings of the Amorites, and their land when he destroyed them. The Lord will give them over to you that you may do to them according to every commandment which I have commanded you. Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, he is the one who goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Then Moses called Joshua and said to him in the sight of all of Israel, be strong and of good courage, for you must go with this people to the land which the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall cause them to inherit it. And the Lord, he is the one who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear nor be dismayed. Keep thinking of Jesus. God went before him. He's there. He prevailed. Just as Joshua was going into the land to subdue the enemies. Remember Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? He needed strengthening, but the Lord did not leave him nor forsake him. Everything points to Jesus. Every single word of this. Later in that same chapter of Deuteronomy 31, it again says, Then he inaugurated Joshua the son of Nun and said, Be strong and of good courage, for you shall bring the children of Israel into the land of which I swore to them, and I will be with you. What is recorded here about Joshua is not at all unlike that which is spoken by Peter about Jesus. Joshua was imparted the hood or splendor of Moses at his inauguration. Peter says that Jesus bore the same splendor as the Father. He repeats the substance of the account of the transfiguration in his epistle with these words, For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came from him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. The patterns between Moses and Joshua and that of the law and Jesus were recorded about 1,400 years apart. And yet they show marvelous similarities between the two accounts in order to let us know that what is recorded about Jesus is not just arbitrary or happenstance, but it's purposeful. Further, if these similarities were purposely manufactured, they would have been called out as such from the moment that they were written. But there could be no argument at all that what was recorded was exactly what happened. If someone in the congregation of Israel had said, Moses never ordained Joshua, he would have been locked up as a lunatic. <laughs> Moses stood and openly ordained him. Eliezer was there. The leaders were there. And indeed, the entire congregation was called to witness it. And further, the account was written down to ensure that it would be remembered properly. Likewise, the same thing happened in regards to Jesus. Those things which were only seen by the apostles might have been dismissed as nonsense, except that the apostles were willing to die for what they proclaimed. Nobody in their right mind would purposefully die for what they knew was a lie. As you defend your faith in Christ, remember the lessons concerning what is recorded, not just from the New Testament, but even from the Old. In Acts 17, the saints at Berea were called more noble than the saints at Thessalonica because they not only accepted the word about Jesus, but they searched the scriptures to see if what they were told was true and accurate. The scriptures which are spoken of were not the New Testament, but the Old. 
they heard the gospel and of the things accomplished by the Lord, then they went back to their own scriptures in order to determine if the things that they were told matched the things they should anticipate from the law and prophets. And guess what? They do. Be assured and reassured that what you were told about Christ in the New Testament is sufficiently well documented in the Old to validate the faith that you have placed in him. And more, the New Testament is so perfectly woven together between the books that we can have a complete assurance that what we have received is exactly what the Lord intended for us to have. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Hear, have faith, and be confident in the faith which you have professed. Jesus Christ came. He fulfilled all of these types and shadows. We keep seeing it week after week after week. Every single part of every single sacrifice points to Jesus or something he did or something we're not to do because Jesus has told us such through the hand of Paul. Whatever. Everything keeps pointing to the fact that God is in control, that he gave Israel a law to show that Israel could not fulfill that law. All of those hundreds and even thousands of years, 1,450 or so years, the people lived under that law, and not one of those people is alive today. Every one of them died, because by the law is the knowledge of sin, with but one exception, Jesus Christ. He was born under that same law. He was born without sin, so he was capable of taking away our sin. He lived out the law perfectly, never sinning under the law, and so he's qualified to take away our sin, and then he gave his life up in exchange for our sin. This is the love of God which is found in Jesus Christ our Lord. And if you have never accepted that simple gift of God, I would ask that today would be the day you would call out to God in Jesus Christ and say, I want Jesus. I want reconciliation with you. And when you do, it is done. God has saved you, past tense and for all future. And Yes, you're going to fail. Every one of us fails every single day. Anybody not failed today? I failed probably 400 times just sitting here in the sermon with thoughts going through my head that don't belong there. But guess what? The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 19 that God is not imputing sin to us. He's not counting our sins against us. He died in fulfillment of the law. He took away our sin under the law and he's not giving us any more sin imputation because there's no law to impute sin. Thank God for Jesus Christ. Call on him and be reconciled to God through him. Our closing verse comes from Acts chapter 2. This Jesus God has raised up of which we are all witnesses. Therefore being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit he poured out this which you now see and hear. Meaning the Holy Spirit on the people speaking in tongues. For David did not ascend into the heavens but he says himself the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. A moment ago, I said that there was no excuse. Anybody in Israel that said Moses didn't inaugurate Joshua, that would be the end of them. And this is exactly what happened to the people of Israel. There is no excuse because it happened publicly in front of all of the people. And they were witnesses to it right there in the temple in front of all of the people of Israel gathered there together. And they heard it in every language from the countries they had come from. There is no excuse for you rejecting Jesus Christ. It, the book is written. It is perfect in all that it contains and all that it portrays. 
please call on Jesus. Next week is Numbers 28, 1 through 10. Detailing these most important profferings, it's entitled the Daily and the Sabbath Day Offerings. That'll be our 54th number sermon. And yes, we have more offerings to go. I, I will say this sometime during the sermon next week. We went through offerings in Exodus. We went through a couple offerings in Leviticus, maybe only 15,000, right? And then we went through more offerings in Numbers. We've gone through offerings and offerings, and yet there is more information to be gleaned out of this. So please don't be disheartened. I'll explain it all at the beginning of the sermon next week. You can laugh along with me. The Lord has you exactly where he wants you. He has a good plan and a purpose for you. It may seem at times as if you are lost in the desert, wandering aimlessly, but the Lord is there, and he's carefully leading you to the land of promise. And so follow him and trust him, and he will do marvelous things for you and through you, okay? I said during the Bible study on Thursday that... Uh, we often get down in our hearts. We get sick and we get mournful. And I, I know I said it. I said, I understand that. And one of the ladies that has been having physical difficulties emailed me. And she says, I'm so glad you said that. But at the same time, I feel like I'm letting people down because I'm down. And I said, no, we all are down when we have difficulties and trials. What we need to do during those trials is to keep our eyes on Jesus to fix our eyes on the Lord Jesus and to say, I know that this is terrible and I'm trying, dear husband, dear wife, dear children, I'm trying not to be a downer in your presence, but it's hard. It's hard. But keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your heart and your faith on Jesus through the difficulties because I'm going to tell you, that's where the reward is. You want rewards when you stand before the Lord? It's not going to be for doing great stuff in the world. It's for having faith. That is what your reward will be based on and nothing else. If it is a deed not done in faith, it is not worthy of reward. And if you're suffering and you maintain your faith, guess what? The Lord is going to reward you abundantly for that faith. The theme of what we have seen today is that of Moses, representing the law dying prior to allowing God's people into Canaan, right? Representing heaven. In other words, the law is first annulled through his death, and only then does Jesus lead his people into glory. Now, I said this at the beginning of every single Leviticus sermon for at least 20 of the 52 Leviticus sermons. I, there was a series of sermons where I, I said this. So nobody has an excuse if you attended those Leviticus sermons. Name a verse which implicitly or explicitly states the law of Moses is no longer in effect. I said it every single sermon for like 20 in a row. And I said it in others as well. And I've said it many times during Bible studies. Is everybody starting to feel guilty? Yeah. Yes. Well, I can't find that verse in my head. And it, there's few of them. There's, yeah, I read them right. I'm going to take you to, instead of reading my notes, I'm going to take you to the Bible. Because remember I did this before every Leviticus sermon. This is how important I want you to remember these verses. This is how important it is. And I didn't mean, I don't mean to trip you up and embarrass you. It is hard. When a pastor would ask a question at a church, I'd sat there, hadn't read the Bible a jillion times, and I would freeze up. I understand that. So I'm not picking on you, but here we go. We're going to take you first to the book of Hebrews. These are explicit references to the annulling of the law of Moses. And all of these I sent to that gentleman yesterday. Hebrews 7, verse 18. For on the one hand, there is an annulling of the former commandment. Annulling. No. Because of its weakness and unprofitableness. The law is 
Still binding. No, it's an old. Okay, we're going to go to Hebrews 8, verse 13. Just remember 7, 8, 10. 7, 8, 10, okay? 8. And then get out your yellow highlighter and highlight these. Hebrews 7, 18, 8, 13. In that he says a new covenant... He has made the first obsolete. That means it's going on and on forever. It never dies, right? No, it means it's done. It is obsolete. It is no longer in effect. And then 10, 9, 7, 8, 10. Highlight them when you get there. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. He's talking about the law. He takes it away. It is annulled. It is obsolete. And it is taken away. And I have one more for you, which I'm going to go to Colossians. It's chapter 2 and verse 14. I'll even show you, it's highlighted in yellow. Having, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. He died on the cross. He's in the embodiment of the law. Therefore, the law died when Christ died, and he came to newness of life by the power of the Holy Spirit, and he brings us to that same state. Hebrews 7, 8, 10. Here's a highlighter for somebody. Whoops, oh, I got her right in the head. I poked out her eye. Here's another one for somebody. Catch it, don't miss it. Okay, keep, you all should highlight your Bibles until you can't highlight anymore, and then just keep on highlighting, okay? And use different colors if you want. I know one, my neighbor one time, I think it was, had a highlighter and they highlighted everything about the Holy Spirit in one color, everything about God the Father in another, and everything about um, the Son in another. They, they, and they did that just, you know, so they could make references. Whatever you want to do. Use your Bible well and use it often until it's worn out and then go buy another Bible, okay? I got a poem here for you. It's not as long as one that's coming up in four weeks, I'll tell you that, because I practiced it this morning and it is a long poem. This one's short. It's entitled, The Inauguration of Joshua. Now the Lord said to Moses, Go up into this Mount Abarim, as to you I now tell, and see the land which I have given to the children of Israel. And when you have seen it, you also shall be gathered to your people, as Aaron your brother was gathered, as now directed by me. For in the wilderness of Zin, during the strife of the congregation, you rebelled against my command to hallow me at the waters before their eyes, yes, before the whole nation. These are the waters of Meribah, where you did sin, at Kadesh, in the wilderness of Zin. Then Moses spoke to the Lord, saying, these words to the Lord he was relaying, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, set a man over the congregation, who may go out and before them and go in before them, who may lead them out and bring them in, yes, before the whole nation, that the congregation of the Lord, as I petition you this day, may not be like sheep which has no shepherd. Hear my petition now, I pray. And the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, the son of Nun, with you, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand on him, so you shall do. Set him before Eleazar the priest and before all the congregation, and inaugurate him in their sight, yes, in the sight of the whole nation. And you shall give some of your authority to him, that all the congregation of the children of Israel may be obedient, yes, so shall it be among the nation." He shall stand before Eliezer the priest, who shall inquire before the Lord for him by the judgment of the Urim, according to my word. At his word they shall go out, and at his word they shall come in, yes, the whole nation, he and all the children of Israel with him, all the congregation. So Moses did as the Lord commanded him. He took Joshua and set him before Eliezer the priest, and before all the congregation, yes, before them all, from the greatest 
to the least. And he laid his hands on him and inaugurated him, as we now understand, just as the Lord commanded Moses by Moses' hand. Lord God, we are even now in a wilderness and we are wanting to be led by you. Without you to direct our lives would be a mess, and so be our guide, O God, you who are faithful and true. We long for the water in this barren land. May it flow forth from the rock, our souls to satisfy. Give us this refreshing spiritual hand, and may we take it into our lives daily, it apply. Then we shall be content and satisfied in you alone. We will follow you as we sing our songs of praise. Hallelujah to you. To us, your path you have shown. Hallelujah. We shall sing to you for all of our days. Hallelujah and amen. Heavenly Father, we've got a child in this church today named Solomon. And we, as a collective group, would pray for this child. That you would impose upon the hearts of the parents the desire and the need to every day of their lives speak to the child about you, about their love of you, about their faithfulness to you, and about how that child also should be brought up in your presence. So that when he is older, he won't depart from you as so many of us have, but he will stand fast with the Lord. And he'll read your word every day and maybe be a great scholar of your word if you haven't come for your people by then. And maybe he'll be a pastor or he'll be a missionary to some far off land telling others about the Lord Jesus Christ and the glory that he has shown to the world and that we now tell the world of. Whatever your will for that child is, we just pray for him now and that you would be with him all the days of his life. And thank you for the parents who are willing to make this, this commitment to raising him as godly parents. And for the grandparents who came before and instilled that in them. Lord, we pray this, that you will be glorified. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.